everybody i am sean graham scott alongside as always hello scott sean hey how's it going oh bud great uh amazing thunderstorm yeah uh, day here in ottawa just uh this line that i've been tracking since you know it was over uh lake huron just beautiful it was like nicely formed proceeded nicely uh not, not to second guess my my colleagues or anything, but you you could have you know put a timer on when that thunderstorm was going to get reported <laughs> at the Ottawa airport. Uh, so I thought they were a little cautious, but mm. yeah, no, uh, beautiful. It was just beautiful. Uh, it got dark like winter. Yes, in my in my little room here, and I thought, holy cow, I had to turn the lights on. Yeah. It got anyway, really dark about fun. yeah two thirty three o'clock this afternoon here in Ottawa. Mm-hmm big storm and i tweeted that we might have some thunder accompanying us it seems to have subsided as we record here around 5 30 eastern time so i don't think we'll get it you might get some ambient noise of rain falling off of the trees near my window mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. about yeah. it yeah uh, there might be some rogue thunder left but uh overall yeah pretty sweet yeah, and uh, uh, good good for the city, too, that uh, it's been smoky the past 24 hours or so as smoke from the wildfires up in northwestern Ontario has found its way into the Ottawa Valley. And uh, mm. so, so this is kind of helping to push some of that out. And, of course, we send our best to everybody up in northwestern Ontario and in B.C., really all across the country, dealing with wildfires and uh, certainly not uh, not a great situation as we sit here in the middle of summer and uh, just wish everybody well out there. Yeah, it's almost like the climate's changing, eh? Yeah, it's strange. Yeah. So uh, so let's, uh, let's get into our episode this week. I want to thank everybody for the feedback on our episode last week talking about innovations in curling and the history surrounding some of them and the fine line between innovation and cheating in the sport really appreciated the feedback for that Uh, curling clips actually asked for a bit of a bibliography of sorts for the resources that we use to put that together i will tweet that out and put that up on gameofstonespod.com if you want to go and read a little more in depth on some of these issues and and figure out where we got some of this info from and curling clips said that they wanted to use that to update some of the curling wikipedia pages potentially which would be kind of cool to a Uh, That's something that I know historians do regularly, that they like to update Wikipedia pages with more accurate information. So I just want to thank everybody for that. And because that was so much fun for us to put together, and it seemed like a lot of you enjoyed it, we're going to do some more stuff about history and curling. But we're not going as far back today in our episode. We're going to launch a series of episodes looking at some of the top players from different decades And today we're going to go back to the 1970s for the first edition in this series. Scott, why did we want to start with the 1970s? Well, because I think if you go to the 60s, uh, it's a lot harder to find information on teams from other countries, you know, that didn't make it to a world championship. And you just have the Richardsons, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> Pretty so, much. Yeah. You know, uh, we thought we could get like a little more information on the 70s uh, and we'll try to go decade by decade, you know, uh, here this summer to try and, uh, you know, round out our, our summer schedule with some of these. We might have a, an episode here or there mixed in, but uh, that's the plan is to do uh, five different ep- episodes profiling the decades. Yeah. So, so that'll be the plan as we move forward. As Scott says, we might toss in some other episodes here and there, particularly as teams start to set schedules. There was the news yesterday that American fully vaccinated tourists will be allowed into Canada in August for the first time in 17 months. And, and that will certainly have an impact on the curling season potentially. So we'll we'll mix things up as we go through the summer. But we do want to go through and do some of the decades. And yeah, as Scott says, looking forward to talking about the 1970s. Not only is this a decade where you do have a lot of international depth in terms of who wins world championships on the men's side. You also have the advent of the world championship on the women's side. The first mm-hmm. one happens in 1979. So it's not a lot to pull from in terms of assessing the women's field internationally. If you're looking at world championships as a guide, but that's an exciting time to finally have a world championship on the women's side you see it really in the 1980s. Some some names that w- when we talk about the 80s are very familiar because of that. And it's just a major step forward for the women's game. And you see it even when you look at the profiles of the women who were in that first one in 1979, that a lot of them would play locally, regionally, maybe nationally. But that was the first opportunity for a lot of international exposure and to get that international experience and it was really cool to see, and uh, we have a couple names from that initial thirty-nine or seventy-nine, excuse me, world championship. But the, uh, just a monumental moment. Everything like the biggest things that happened in curling in the seventies. I think you got to point to that, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that's right. That the the women didn't have a world championship until nineteen seventy-nine. Uh, a lot of great national champions here in Canada and in other countries around the world. But uh, yeah, it's sort of the the coming out of the women's game on a on international level and certainly the the 80s is where where things get sort of sort of more current in my mind anyway yeah and you also get the 88 olympics as a demonstration sport major step forward in that regard uh tv coverage becomes more common with tsn entering into the fold cbc was already there but you get more wall to wallish type coverage the 80s is really transformative but it's built off what happens here in the 1970s so let's get right into it and scott it's supposed to be or we put together what we thought would be a top 10 list but we can't do it because we have 11 people we have 11 maybe even 12 but uh yeah it's uh it's really tough to come up with uh a list of the best players and and not feel bad about leaving like a few people out. So we want to start at the top, Sean, our top player of the seventies. No, I think it's going to be obvious. So let's count down to the top player of the seventies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm interested to hear from people right now. If, as you're listening, who do you think it'll be? Because I'm not sure it's obvious. Okay. But uh, yeah, anyway, I'm interested right. in that. Yeah. Pause us right here. And tweet at us if you if you definitely know who is going to be number one, uh, or you can listen to the whole episode and then listen, let us know if you knew who that was going to be. So let's start down in a tie for tenth place 
on our list of the top players of the 1970s. Let's start with Joyce McGee. This is a name that might be familiar to you. She won multiple Scotties. I'm okay. I will also say I'm going to call them Scotties. They were not called Scotties at the time. In 1970 and 1971, it was the Canadian Ladies Curling Association Championship. And then 72 to 79, it was the McDonald Lassies Championship. I am not going to call it by those two names for no real reason other than I know it by the Scotties and Scotties become shorthand for National Women's Curling Championship. So I'm going to do that. And maybe Scott Paper will throw me a few bucks. They probably won't, but hey. Hey, can't hurt to try. Can't hurt to try. So Joyce McGee won the Scotties as a skip in 61 and 69, but she was part of the Vera Pezzer teams that won in 70, 71 and 72 as the second. Really interesting dynamic there for me, Scott, that she's there as the skip in the 60s. They have great success, and then she comes back and they make that lineup change. She goes into the second position and they continue to have a lot of success. It's rare mm-hmm. that you have a situation where an individual is successful as a skip, then goes into a different position and the team still playing together continues to have that success. You would never see this today, I don't think. No, I I, I don't think the skips of today would have the ego to be able to step down and play second and and do it at a high level you see a player like john morris doing that but it you know he's sort of at the back end of his career and you, you just don't see it so well i, I um, mean I, I can hear people yelling at us right now about the anerson team the difference that i would make or, or how i would distinguish this is that joyce mcgee won national championships as a skip as a skip yeah the individuals on carrie anerson's team did not Uh, The same thing, Sherry Anderson, when she went and played third for all those years for Stephanie Lott. It's a different caliber. It's it's not individuals who have won national championships or world championships stepping down. That's the difference Mm -hmm. here. Skips can do it, uh, certainly to great success, as exampled by the Kerry Anderson team. But those players individually did not have the same level of success as Joyce McGee had. Yeah, it would be like uh like uh, kelly scott yes going and coming now like and playing second and winning something and you'd be like what where where did that come from yeah. right? but, it, like, but it wouldn't even be that it would be like kelly scott after the back-to-back ones switch, switching spots with stasha carter uh, yeah yeah because right? like that's what it was team. they were the defending champions and they made the change in mm-hmm. lineup it's kind of crazy to think about it yeah, yeah, pretty insane. Yeah, pretty insane so for sure. Good for Joyce McGee to be able to do that. Yeah, and so we put her on here of this team of the seventies, in part because of the success she has with uh, Vera Pezzer, who may or may not be making an appearance later on the list, and uh, also the success that she had as her own skip uh, in the sixties. So yeah. I sort of weighed that when I was coming up with that name. Yeah, solid choice, Scott. I like it. So, uh, so who is she tied with then? So we have her tied with a Brian Wood, who was another guy that was a front end player as part of championship teams with Don Duguid in 70 and 71, and also with Barry Fry's team in 1979 that went on to win the Briar and get bronze at the world championships. 
Uh, he was he was named to the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame in 1974. Pretty and good. then went on to win another prior. <laughs> yeah. Already a Hall of Famer. Well, let me just go win another one. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not too bad at all. And that team, that Barry Fry team, went on and won the bronze medal at the World Championship uh, mm-hmm. that year in 1979. Uh, Barry Fry, the recently departed uh, this spring, uh, Barry Fry, a uh, great player in his own right, obviously, championship skip. Uh, we have him here as sort of an honorable mention of, of sorts. Yeah. So, uh, really, really mm-hmm. great, uh, run there for, for Brian Wood, one of the few people on this list in the 1970s. Again, if you want to make a, uh, sort of contrast the seventies to today, that one of the few players here who played with the different people, there's not nearly as much lineup changes that, that we see in the 1970s as we have today. Brian Wood, here's one of the few examples in this decade of somebody making a change for other reasons. I mean, Don Duke had retired, so mm-hmm. he, he had to find another team if he wanted to keep playing. But just a, an interesting case of how different the game is today from what we see in the 1970s. Yeah. And, and you know, Sean, you mentioned Barry Fry. The, the reason that we have him as an honorable mention and, and not on this list is that 79 was his only prior uh, yeah. that he played in. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he had a tough go to try and get out of Manitoba. Yes. Uh, for so long. And so uh, wasn't able to break through often when, when he did the one time, you know, went to the world championship, got a bronze medal, pretty good. Uh, also had some mixed experience in there in the seventies, but uh, we have Brian Wood ahead of him because of the success that he had on those Don Duguid teams. Yeah. Uh, only, only three time world championship medalist in the decade, Brian Wood. So mm-hmm. that, that certainly has to be worth something. Yeah. I agree. All right. So who's uh, who's next, Sean? All right. Number next nine. up, uh, we're going international for the first time here on the list. Yes. We're going to go to Birgitta Torn. She was the Swedish champion, the European champion, and the world silver medalist in 1979. Huge year for Birgitta Torn. Sky, some of our listeners might know her. From her more recent accomplishments, as she participated in 10 consecutive World Senior Curling Championships between 2004 and 2014, winning eight medals in that time, including golds in 2006 and 2007. She is the Sherry Anderson before Sherry Anderson of the World Senior Curling Championships. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, in that era of the 1970s strong team out of Sweden. There's that tradition of strong, particularly women's teams coming out of Sweden and Birgitta Torn that amazing year in 1979 for them on that world stage. The first time that women are participating in a world championship and then also having that solid uh, Euro performance. Got to give her some credit for putting Sweden on the map on the women's side. Yeah, yeah, really strong. Also won a gold medal at the Swedish Mixed Curling Championships in 1972 as the second. Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good, right? Uh, It doesn't look like they required the skip and second to be of the same gender. Ah, just two and two. Based on the names I'm seeing here, but uh, I could be wrong. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, uh, a a great uh, curling career. Uh, you, you had to get somebody from that uh, world championship in 79, right, Sean? So we had to get 
some international representation from that. Yep, no question. So uh, ne- needed uh, somebody to be on there, and you know, winning the Euros, winning uh, the, her, her country, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, uh, not nothing wrong with that. Uh, Euro silver medalist, I should say, that year. Oh yeah. Euro and world silver. Okay. Yeah. The way that we have it written. Yes. I wrote it strangely. <laughs> you need to use the Oxford comma. Shot. I do. I, my apologies. I, I do. Uh, so next up, Scott, who is just ahead of Brigitte Torn? Well, Sean, we talk about needing that international representation in 1979 at the first championship. So we got it. Gabby Casanova, the Swiss Euro and world champion in 1979. Uh, that first women's world. So uh, the team that uh, beats uh, Birgitta Torn, they, they come out uh, come out on top, right? Yeah. So I, I have to put her on the list, and I've got to put her obviously ahead of Birgitta Torn for winning that event. I think it's the first women's world champion, regardless of what you do elsewhere in the decade. That landmark event, major moment in curling history. Got to give her the credit for that. Got to put her on the list even if that's the only thing she did in the decade. But as you mentioned, that major year of 79 with the Swiss World Championship on top of it, or excuse mm-hmm. me, Swiss and Euros on top of it, solid all-around performance. And again, I've said it before, but Swiss women, they just show up and win world championships. That's just what that's they do. Right. They, they, she started the trend. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not much else for her on the career when, when you look her up, but she was the trendsetter. Yeah, and and you know, like we say, we need we need to have a representation from the whole world here, mm-hmm. and uh, to have the only women's world championship of the nineteen seventies, the first one, the winner's got to be on this list, right? No question. So, who we got next, Sean? Number seven. All right, we're gonna keep it up with some international flair, and we're gonna go to a name that we're very familiar with, but not maybe the individual who you're familiar with. This is Bill Muirhead, famous Mm -hmm. of the Muirhead Scots. He was the Scottish champion in 1970 and 1976, won the world silver medal in both years and went a total of 12 and four in the round robin at the world championships in those two appearances. It's remarkable that now they play 15 games or whatever, four, whatever many games they play. Yeah. And uh, in two events, he played 16 in the round robin. Uh, so, so great performances for Bill Muirhead there, two time medalist at the Worlds that year. It's tough to get out of Scotland uh, even today. And certainly that was the case in the 1970s. When you look at the World Championship, who was there on the men's side? A lot of different teams. It's not like today where you get the same teams representing certain countries over and over. It was tough to get there. And Bill Muirhead gets there twice, two medals, really solid. And having them that far away from each other, it shows a level of sustained success or at least sustained level of competition that you can maintain that over the course of seven years to to have that success. And, And he did other things outside of the 1970s, but even just those two medals, not a lot of folks have multiple medals at world championships from this decade. So mm-hmm. got to give him a lot of credit for that. No, oh, absolutely. Uh, a good feat to win a medal once in your lifetime, let alone twice, uh, the two time silver medalist. And also Sean, you mentioned those accomplishments later. Yeah. It's uh five years in a row. 
five years in a row as the senior uh, Scottish curling champion. Pretty so good. from 1984 to 1988, the same rank, one change the last year, but uh, swept the Scottish senior championships. So uh, pretty good accomplishment there as well. Absolutely. No, no question about that. So Scott, let's uh, return to the domestic scene for number six. Who we got? Number six. So uh, we're going to the women's side. We're going to Chris, Chris, Christine, Scalena, uh, Nay, Pidar, Pidar, well, Pidzarko. <laughs> yeah, Easy she, for me to say. Yeah, she competed yeah. as Pidzarko for, I think, the, the bulk of her career before well, she I, got married, no? Uh, also was known as Chris Moore for a lot of her years. Okay, her, there you uh, go. So, yeah, she uh, won... The, the 1978 Scotties playing third was the runner up the next year. Also in the seventies was the Canadian junior champ in 72 and 74 was the runner up in 73. And for that win in 74, she beat uh, the great Linda Moore yeah. in a tie break for that uh, championship there. So uh, accomplished on the junior side, as well as the women's side uh, throughout that decade of the seventies. Yeah, and you and you see here with Christine that she has the success at multiple positions, right? Being that junior skip, having great success three years in a row, sort of we call that uh, modern times tardy esque. That mm. you you have that sustained success at the junior level, which is very difficult to do, just to get there three years in a row, and then to get two championships and, and a, a runner up, so three finals in a row at, at the juniors, and then to go to third, get that experience at that position get a championship there and then the following year step up to the skip position get back to the national championship and make it into the the final be the runner-up in that event really solid performance and and that's a full decade of success whereas some of the other women who we talked about in the list partly because of just the way the international game was and, and we don't have as much knowledge of what was going on domestically in some countries, this is so. So we're talking about sort of the late 1970s for them. This is a full sustained, sustained decade-long run for her that she's having this great success and showing great flexibility in her her abilities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, really, real strong, real strong player. Yeah. So we have just ahead of her though, Lindsay Sparks. I also competed as Lindsay Davey. She was a Scotties champ in 1976 and 1979. She won the bronze medal at the inaugural Women's World Championship in 1979. She played out of British Columbia. And kind of a, a fun little tidbit for her career, Scott, she won the first three Scotties she played in. Uh, she also won in 1985. Uh, she may come up in the 1980s episode. Uh, as well, <laughs> but uh, a, a two-time national champion in Canada here, as I said, 76, 79, getting that bronze medal in the initial women's worlds, really solid performance in the decade for her. And just a, a team that for me, at least wh- when I was looking at their record and some of the things that they accomplished, a team that I don't think I would have wanted to play. No, no, absolutely. And and when Sean, you showed me your draft uh, list of 
of the players that you'd chosen. I was a little surprised to see Lindsay Sparks here because I think of her more as a 1980s player. Sure. Uh, you know, with, with that uh, gold medal at the Olympics in 88, you know, uh, the demos for it. Yep. So, yeah, like you say, we may see her again in the 80s, uh, but very accomplished in the 70s as well. Um, so no qualms there. Uh, maybe a fun fact, maybe not. Uh, I went to university with her niece, Wow. Tara. All right. So, yeah, a little personal connection to Lindsay Sparks there. Did you ever meet her? No. Oh. I, I went to university is more like I, I knew her at university for a bit, but. Okay. You know, not super tight right now. Still counts. So, still counts. Still counts, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we might hear more from Lindsay Sparks <laughs> in the future. I, I think so. Yeah. When I was, when I, I was actually reading and, and thinking about where to put her, I was like, well, yeah, probably more of an 80s curler, as you said, in terms of how people recognize her when, when you hear her name. But the resume in the 70s is very, very strong. Very strong. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So now we are into the top four. So, Scott, who gets that coveted fourth position? The Norwegian skip of the 1979 world champions. It's going to be Christian Sorum, also a world silver medalist in 1978. Then, as I mentioned, the champions in 79, another silver in 1980. Uh, and it's to be noted that that's the first Norwegian to win a medal at a world curling event. Yeah, so that's what I think is really important to me here on this one. Obviously, mm -hmm. yes, you win a world championship. You have great sustained success there at the end of the decade. But you're also doing it coming out of a country that previously had not had success at the international level. So it's not like you're coming out of Sweden, Canada, Scotland. Even France had won a, a world yeah. medal before this. So you're almost establishing that program as a high-level program uh, is somebody who could compete at that highest level of the sport now granted the highest level of the sport in the 70s isn't quite the same as the highest level of the sport in 2021 but that's still a challenge and you, you're really doing it on your own so I, I think i have to give a lot of credit to christian and the team for being able to do that for coming out of that country even today when you talk to thomas ulzru they'll talk about the the lack of curling facilities and the lack of funding, the lack of, of just good ice that you can find in the country, that it's a real challenge. And for them to be able to do that 40 years ago really is remarkable. And I went to the Norwegian Curling Association website. I got to say that it was hard for me to read as somebody who only reads English and French, but hey, uh, I was able to navigate my way to the list of medalists, and I was surprised that uh, he was the first. Yeah, yeah. So a, a great accomplishment there, and of course on the on the men's side, Sean, we think of Norway as kind of, oh yeah, Norway is going to be at the World Championships. Mm -hmm. uh, they're even going to be a threat for a medal mm -hmm. almost every year. So uh, that that sort of legacy and tradition starting uh, with with Christian Sorum is is something that uh, needs to be noted and uh, what better place than a list on a podcast. Yeah, no question. That's how we mm -hmm. do. That's how we do things here, you know? <laughs> um, all right, let's move up, Scott. The number three position on our list, the lone American to crack the top 10 for us 
in the 1970s. That's going to be Bob Nichols. He was the third on Bud Somerville's 1974 World Championship team. So that American team won in 1974. Bud Somerville, that's a name that probably or maybe could have been on this list himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I went with Bob Nichols, uh, giving him the edge over Somerville because he came back as the skip in 1978 and won the world championship. So what they did was they had that same team. You had Bill Strum, who was second. He moved up to third. Tom Locken moved up from lead to second. And then they added Rob Chrisman at lead. And they come out, they win that 78 world championship. He himself, Bob Nichols, is a three-time inductee into the U.S. Curling Hall of Fame. He was inducted himself in 1990, and then both of those world championship teams were inducted in 2017. They go on to have great success. Bud Somerville comes back as the skip in 1981, and they win a world silver, and Nichols was throwing fourth in that event with Somerville Mm -hmm. skipping. And then they repped the Americans on the men's side at the Olympics in 88. But a two-time world champion in the 1970s for the United States, that is something that uh, you may not see again. Who knows? But mm-hmm. certainly the, the the trend since has not been a lot of American world championships. So I got to give the edge to Bob Nichols over Somerville for that ability to come back, take over the team, and win that second world championship. Yeah, this is something we might get some pushback on, like you say, but uh, a solid choice for sure. Uh, he also went on to the 88 games in Calgary and the 92 in Albertville as demonstration sports. Uh, finished fourth in 88, uh, got a demonstration bronze in 92 uh, as the alternate in in 82 or 92 rather. So yeah, a great uh, career decorated this team this bud somerville team is sort of popular within the lore of american curling uh in watching the the documentary that was made about yeah team schuster you know that team gets mentioned quite a bit so a uh, very important team uh, a lot of success and uh so we picked uh, bob nichols from it because uh of the success he had without bud somerville yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just a yeah formative team, no question about it. And and like we said, two two members, Somerville and Nichols, could have been on this list, but uh, but just one with Nichols. Yeah. So Scott, we got two names left. I, I think it's so, between these two. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And and I some of the names folks might not be super familiar with who we've talked about. Some you might be hearing about for the first time. I'm confident that the vast majority of people who are going to listen to this. We'll know these two names. So it's just a question of, yes, who is first, who is second. I think it's pretty obvious to me. But Scott, why don't you do the reveal of who is going to be in second place? Yeah, this is the this is the one I think that a lot of people might have guessed was going to be in the number one spot, Sean. Uh, and that's Don Duguid. Briar and world champion, 71-72. Canadian Curling Hall of Fame inductee, 1974. After winning that Briar and Worlds in 71, he became the lead CBC analyst in 1972, which he uh, he did in t- well into the 90s. Yep. Uh, uh, has, was a longtime decorated player before those two Briar and Worlds. 
Uh, competed his first briar in 1957. Longtime curler. Also awarded the Order of Canada in 2020. Uh, great accomplishment for any Canadian. You know, the that's mm-hmm. sort of the pinnacle of maybe being Canadian. Maybe, maybe not. Well, civilian. Uh, civilian Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, I guess depends who you, who you ask to. But yeah. uh, a, a, a great honor. For sure. Uh, anyway, you slice it. Uh, and because he was on TV for so long, he became kind of the voice of curling in Canada. Yeah, no question. He he was Vic before Vic, before in, Vic. in a way, yeah. right? Like he 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 set the stage for what was to come. And there are other people who are involved in that, no question. But it really was Don Duguid, and to go right from world champion to right in the booth is is pretty cool to do. Uh, and mm-hmm. certainly it's not the same as today where, oh, well, the Olympic cycle's over. I guess I'm done. No, like he, he was just like, all right, I'm done. It's, it's over now. Uh, so, yeah, those Brian World Championships, 70-71, just a remarkable career for Don Duguid before then. And then to cap it off with two World Championships uh, really is is remarkable. And And I know that the point of this is the top players of the 70s, and he only played two years of the 1970s, but I don't think we can understate or I don't think we could overstate how important that role as the curling commentator was in Canada. It it doesn't have the Mm -hmm. same international reach, but the sports popularity and the growth of the sport to the point now where it is an Olympic event and it it does get all this coverage. There's however many of, of people like us who are doing this sort of thing around the sport it really is because of, to a certain degree, television and the growth of, yep. of curling in homes and you have access to the game in a different way than going and playing. And Don Duguid is one of, if not the formative individual in that process. Absolutely. And uh, you talked about him setting the stage like he was the lead voice on that Al Hackner shot, right? Yep. Uh, either the lead or the second. There, there was a lot of guys named Don that were, uh, <laughs> yeah. commentating on curling then. Uh, but you hear him there. Uh, you know, he did curling broadcasting in 2006, 2010 at the Olympics, you know? Yeah. So it, it's the longevity of that, the plus the greatness on the ice at the beginning of that decade that caused us to put him here. And so maybe for that reason, you're not that surprised that he wasn't number one. But I think when you think of curling in Canada in the 70s, Don Duguid is the, maybe the first name that comes to mind. Maybe the first name to come to mind, yeah. But uh, the first name for me to come to mind, Scott, is the number one person on mm-hmm. our list. To me, the top player of the 1970s, somebody who we had on our all-times fantasy Scotties list. And actually, some people got mad at me for where I put her on our all-time <laughs> fantasy Scotties list. But Scott... It is the great Vera Pezzer, the mm-hmm. Scotties champion in 1970, 1971, 1972. She won in 69 as the third for Joyce McKee, too, just, you know, just for fun. So yeah. four consecutive wins for Vera Pezzer at the Canadian National Women's Curling Championship. She was inducted into the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame in 1976. I think just as interesting to me, or maybe not just as interesting, but there, there's also this moment in 1972 where they have a battle of the sexes, which was kind of the rage in the 1970s. There's a lot of yeah. sports battle of the sexes 
Of course, the famous one is Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King, Billie Jean King uh, where Billie Jean King, of course, wins. And this is the case here, too, in 1972, where Vera Pezzer and her team beat Orst Melinschuk, who was Melinschuk, who was so. the reigning world men's curling championship or reigning men's world curling champion. So this isn't a Bobby Riggs situation. End of his career, kind of washed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't the greatest player to begin with. This is the reigning world. So these are the two world two champions. World champions. <laughs> or, or, well, Vera Pezzer didn't win a world championship, but was probably the best there was player. Not. Yeah, but they're probably the best player, women's player in the world at that point, having won four consecutive Canadian championships. You can make a case that, well, maybe somebody else would have beat her in a world champ, but who knows? But in terms of how, of the competitions that existed at the time, these are the people who have established themselves as the two best uh, men's and women's teams in the world. And she goes out and beats him. And from all accounts, he was not too pleased with this. Um, <laughs> what didn't react particularly well to it. But that to me is kind of the cherry on top of the Sunday of Vera Pezzer and her run in the early 1970s to just win those national championships and then to come out, beat the reigning men's world champion. That just really, to me, cements her place as the best player of the 1970s yeah yeah sean i'll i'll correct you just real quick Uh, she didn't win in 1970 so it was 69 71 72 73 and that was only because she lost saskatchewan in 70 excuse me yes and that team did go on to win the the canadian championship so uh that's five in a row for actually six in a row for saskatchewan uh just uh, great uh yeah a great great player uh Still, still around, Vera Pezzer. Maybe we'll uh, uh, tag her. See if she's on social media. Tag her in this yeah. post. Uh, but yeah, like we we talked about it when we did our fantasy Scotties. Like, how can Vera Pezzer not be on our team? And, and it's true. Like, she has to be there. Uh, obviously, one of the greats. It was just was was she ahead of Don Duguid? And you know what? I think you made the case, and I agree. I number one. That's the spot to be. Uh, also, uh, on TSN's poll that came out a couple of years ago, I think she was number nine all time. Right. Uh, she was and, in there. You know, yeah. That's that's obviously going to be recency bias uh, for for the more recent players and teams. I think Rachel Holman's ahead of her. Right. But just a, a, a great player uh, and a great legacy in Canadian women's curling. Yeah. So uh, really, really incredible. Yeah. So she did win in, in 71, 72 and 73. Yes. So just incredible. So four or five. Yeah. That she won instead of four in a row. That really uh, tarnishes the legacy. <laughs> the four or five instead of four in a row. Uh, but yes. Well, I'll just, just ask Randy Furby how he feels. <laughs> so yeah. So for that reason, yeah, I, I got to have Vera Pezzer at the top. And uh, so there you go. That is our top 10, 11 players of the 1970s. we got Joyce McGee and Brian Wood tied for 10th. Brigitte Torn at 9, at 8. Gabby Casanova, 7. Bill Muirhead, 6. Christine Scalina, 5. Lindsey Sparks, 4. Christian Sorum, 3. Bob Nichols. Don Duguid comes in at number 2. And Vero Pezzer is going to top our list of the top players of the 1970s scott overall how do you feel about that list 
You know, I like the list, Sean. I, I I was a little bit worried maybe uh, maybe we wouldn't be able to find people for the bottom, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we found a lot of great curlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a lot of uh, talent out there, and you know, hopefully, uh, somebody learned a little bit of something and is maybe inspired to go and look back at the the old records and uh, see what they think was the best players and best teams from that era. Yeah, and let us know if we missed anybody for sure that uh, maybe there's somebody who went to a lot of Briars, who went to a lot of uh, Scotties that we missed, and had a lot of like third, fourth appearances, uh, fourth place appearances. Do let us know if we missed anybody. And you can find us on social media at Game of Stones Pod. You can reach out, Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what we missed. Let us know where you might have some of these players ranked. Is Vera Pezzer your top player of the 1970s? Please do get in touch and let us know as that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you everybody for listening. Please do subscribe if you have not yet and head on over to gameofstonespod.com. Find all the past episodes there as well as the merch that is available. As I mentioned, I will do a bit of a bibliography of all the sources we used to put together last week's episode talking about innovation slash cheating and the spirit of curling and how all that comes together. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you again next week, but until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.